Chapter Five of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Five: How Bellew Came to Arcadia. So they set out together, Big Porges and Small Porges, walking side by side over sun-kissed field and meadow, slowly and thoughtfully, to be sure for Bellew disliked hurry, often pausing to listen to the music of running waters, or to stare away across the purple valley, for the sun was getting low. And ever as they went, they talked to one another wholeheartedly, as good friends should. And from the boy's eager lips, Bellew heard much of Auntie Anthea, and learned, little by little, something of the brave fight she had made, lonely and unaided, and burdened with ancient debt, to make the farm of Dapplemere pay. Likewise small Porges spoke learnedly of the condition of the markets, and of the distressing fall in prices in regard to hay and wheat. "'Old Adam, he's our man, you know. He says that farming isn't what it was in his young days, especially if you happen to be a woman like my auntie Anthea, and he told me yesterday that if you were auntie, he'd give up trying, and take Mr. Cassilis at his word. Cassilis, ah, and who is Mr. Cassilis? He lives at Brampton Court, a great big house about a mile from Dapplemere, and he's always asking my auntie to marry him. But of course she won't, you know. Why not? Well, I think it's cause he's got such big white teeth when he smiles, and he's always smiling, you know. But old Adams says that if he'd been born a woman, he'd marry a man all teeth or no teeth at all, if he had as much money as Mr. Cassilis. The sun was low in the west as, skirting a wood, they came out upon a grassy lane that presently led them into the great broad highway. Now, as they trudged along together, small Porges, with one hand clasped in Bellew's, and the other supporting the bundle on his shoulder, there appeared, galloping towards them, a man on a fine black horse, at sight of whom Porges's clasp tightened, and he drew near to Bellew's side. When he was nearly abreast of them, the horseman checked his career so suddenly that his animal was thrown back on his haunches. "'Why, Georgie!' he exclaimed. "'Good evening, Mr. Cassilis,' said small Porges, lifting his cap. Mr. Cassilis was tall, handsome, well-built, and very particular as to dress. Bellew noticed that his teeth were indeed very large and white, beneath the small, carefully trained moustache. Also his eyes seemed just a trifle too close together, perhaps. "'Why, what in the world have you been up to, boy?' he inquired, regarding Bellew with no very friendly eye. "'Your aunt is worrying herself ill on your account. What have you been doing with yourself all day?' Again Bellew felt the small fingers tighten round his, and the small figure shrink a little closer to him, as small Porges answered, "'I've been with Uncle Porges, Mr. Cassilis.' "'With whom?' demanded Mr. Cassilis more sharply. "'With his Uncle Porges, sir,' Bellew rejoined, "'a trustworthy person, and very much at your service.' Mr. Cassilis stared, his hand began to stroke and caress his small black moustache, and he viewed Bellew from his dusty boots up to the crown of his dusty hat, and down again with supercilious eyes. "'Uncle?' he repeated incredulously. "'Porges,' nodded Bellew. 
"'I wasn't aware,' began Mr. Cassilis, "'that, er, George was so very fortunate.' "'Baptismal name, George,' continued Bellew, "'lately of New York, Newport, and, uh, other places in America, USA, at present of nowhere in particular.' "'Ah,' said Mr. Cassilis, his eyes seeming to grow a trifle nearer together, "'an American uncle. Still I was not aware of even that relationship.' "'It is a singularly pleasing thought,' smiled Bellew, "'to know that we may learn something every day.' that one never knows what the day may bring forth. Tomorrow, for instance, you also may find yourself a nephew, somewhere or other, though personally I uh, doubt it. Yes, I greatly doubt it. Still, one never knows, you know, and while there's life there's hope. A very good afternoon to you, sir. Come, nephew mine, the evening falls apace, and I grow a-weary. Let us on. Excelsior!' Mr. Cassilis's cheek grew suddenly red. He twirled his moustache angrily, and seemed about to speak. Then he smiled instead, and, turning his horse, spurred him savagely, and galloped back down the road in a cloud of dust. "'Did you see his teeth, Uncle Porges?' "'I did. He only smiles like that when he's awful angry,' said Small Porges, shaking his head as the galloping hoof-strokes died away in the distance. "'And what do you suppose he went back for?' "'Well, Porges, it's in my mind that he has gone back to warn our Auntie Anthea of our coming.' Small Porges sighed, and his feet dragged in the dust. "'Tired, my Porges?' "'Just a bit, you know. But it isn't that. I was thinking that the day has almost gone, and I haven't found a bit of the fortune yet.' "'Why, there's always tomorrow to live for, my Porges.' "'Yes, of course. There's always to-morrow. And then—I did find you, you know, Uncle Porges.' "'To be sure you did. And an uncle is better than nothing at all, isn't he? Even if he is rather dusty and disreputable of exterior. One doesn't find an uncle every day of one's life, my Porges. No, sir. And you are so nice and big, you know,' said Porges, viewing Bellew with a bright, approving eye. "'Long would be a better word, perhaps,' suggested Bellow, smiling down at him. "'And wide, too,' nodded Small Porges. And from these two facts he seemed to derive a deal of solid comfort and satisfaction, for he strode on manfully once more. Leaving the high road, he guided Bellew by divers' winding paths, through cornfields and other styles, until, at length, they were come to an orchard, such an orchard as surely may only be found in Kent where great apple-trees, gnarled and knotted, shot out huge branches that seemed to twist and writhe, where were stately pear-trees, where peaches and apricots ripened against time-worn walls whose red bricks still glowed rosily for all their years, where the air was sweet with the scent of fruit, and fragrant with thyme and sage and marjoram, and where the blackbirds, bold marauders that they are, piped gloriously all day long. In the midst of this orchard they stopped, and small Porges rested one hand against the rugged bowl of a great old apple-tree. "'This,' said he, "'is my very own tree, because he's so very big, and so very, very old. Adam says he's the oldest tree in the orchard. I call him King Arthur, because he is so big and strong, just like a king should be, you know, and all the other trees are his knights of the round table.' 
But Bella was not looking at King Arthur just then. His eyes were turned to where one came towards them through the green, one surely as tall and gracious, as proud and beautiful as Enid or Guinevere or any of those lovely ladies, for all her simple gown of blue and the sunbonnet that shaded the beauty of her face. Yes, as he gazed, Bellew was sure and certain that she who, all unconscious of their presence, came slowly towards them with the red glow of the sunset about her, was handsomer, lovelier, statelier, and altogether more desirable than all the beautiful ladies of King Arthur's court, or any other court soever. But now small Porges, finding him so silent, and seeing where he looked, must needs behold her too, and gave a sudden glad cry, and ran out from behind the great bulk of King Arthur, and she, hearing his voice, turned and ran to greet him, and sank upon her knees before him, and clasped him against her heart, and rejoiced, and wept, and scolded him all in a breath. Wherefore Bellew, unobserved, as yet in King Arthur's shadow, watching the proud head with its wayward curls, for the sunbonnet had been tossed back upon her shoulders, watching the quick, passionate caress of those slender brown hands, and listening to the thrilling tenderness of that low, soft voice, felt, all at once, strangely lonely, and friendless, and out of place, very rough and awkward, and very much aware of his dusty person, felt indeed as any other ordinary human might, who had tumbled unexpectedly into Arcadia. Therefore, he turned, thinking to steal quietly away. "'You see, Auntie, I went out to try and find a fortune for you,' Small Porges was explaining, "'and I looked and looked, but I didn't find a bit.' "'My dear, dear, brave Georgie,' said Anthea, and would have kissed him again, but he put her off. "'Wait a minute, please, Auntie,' he said excitedly, "'cause I did find something. Just as I was growing very tired and disappointed, I found Uncle Porges.' under a head, you know. "'Uncle Porges,' said Anthea, starting. "'Oh, well, that must be the man Mr. Cassilis mentioned.' "'So I brought him with me,' pursued small Porges, "'and there he is,' and he pointed triumphantly towards King Arthur. Glancing thither, Anthea beheld a tall, dusty figure moving off among the trees. "'Oh, wait, please,' she called rising to her feet, and, with small Porges's hand in hers, approached Bellow, who had stopped with his dusty back to them. "'I—I I want to thank you for—taking care of my nephew. If you will come up to the house, Cook shall give you a good meal, and if you are in need of work, I—I—' uh, Her voice faltered uncertainly, and she stopped. "'Thank you,' said Bellow, turning and lifting his hat. "'Oh!' "'I beg your pardon,' said Anthea. Now, as their eyes met, it seemed to Bellow as though he had lived all his life in expectation of this moment, and he knew that all his life he should never forget this moment. But now, even while he looked at her, he saw her cheeks flush painfully, and her dark eyes grow troubled. "'I beg your pardon,' said she again. "'I—I I thought— Mr. Cassilis gave me to understand that you were—' "'A very dusty, hungry-looking fellow, perhaps,' 
smiled Bellew. And he was quite right, you know. The dust you can see for yourself, but the hunger you must take my word for. As for the work, I assure you exercise is precisely what I am looking for. But— said Anthea, and stopped, and tapped the grass nervously with her foot, and twisted one of her bonnet-strings, and, meeting Bellew's steady gaze, flushed again. "'But you—you are—' "'My Uncle Porges,' her nephew chimed in, "'and I brought him home with me, cause he's going to help me find a fortune, and he hasn't got any place to go to, cause his home's far, far beyond the bounding billow. So you will let him stay, won't you, Auntie Anthea?' "'Why, Georgie,' she began, but seeing her distressed look, Bellew came to her rescue. Oh, "'Pray do, Miss Anthea,' said he in his quiet, easy manner. "'My name is Bellew,' he went on to explain. "'I am an American, without family or friends, here, there, or anywhere, and with nothing in the world to do but follow the path of the winds. Indeed, I am rather a solitary fellow, at least I was, until I met my nephew Porges here.' Since then I've been wondering if there would be, um, room for such as I at Dapplemere. Oh, well, there would be plenty of room, said Anthea, hesitating and wrinkling her white brow, for a lodger was something entirely new in her experience. As to my character, pursued Bellew, though something of a vagabond, I am not a rogue. At least, I hope not, and I could pay uh, four or five pounds a week. "'Oh!' exclaimed Anthea, with a little gasp. "'If that would be sufficient.' "'It is a great deal too much,' said Anthea, who would have scarcely dared to ask three. "'Pardon me, but I think not,' said Bellew, shaking his head. "'You see, I am, er, uh, rather extravagant in my eating. Eggs, you know, lots of them, and ham and beef and, er, uh, a duck quacked loudly from the vicinity of a neighboring pond. Certainly an occasional duck. Indeed, five pounds a week would scarcely— Three would be ample, said Anthea, with a little nod of finality. Very well, said Bellew. We'll make it four and have done with it. Anthea Devine, being absolute mistress of Dapplemere, was in the habit of exerting her authority, and having her own way in most things. Therefore she glanced up, in some surprise at this tall, dusty, rather lazy-looking personage, and she noticed, even as had small Porges, that he was indeed very big and wide. She noticed also that, despite the easy courtesy of his manner and the quizzical light of his grey eyes, his chin was very square, and that, despite his gentle voice, he had the air of one who meant exactly what he said. Nevertheless, she was much inclined to take issue with him upon the matter, plainly observing which, Bellew smiled and shook his head. "'Pray be reasonable,' he said in his gentle voice. "'If you send me away to some horrible inn or other, it will cost me, being an American, more than that every week, in tips and things. So let's shake hands on it and call it settled.' And he held out his hand to her. Four pounds a week!' It would be a veritable godsend just at present, while she was so hard put to make both ends meet. Four pounds a week! So Anthea stood, lost in frowning thought, until meeting his frank smile, she laughed. You, you are dreadfully persistent, she said, and, and I know it is too much, but 
we'll try to make you as comfortable as we can. And she laid her hand in his. And thus it was that George Bellew came to Dapplemere in the glory of the afterglow of an August afternoon, breathing the magic air of Arcadia, which is, and always has been, of that rare quality warranted to go to the head, sooner or later. And thus it was that Small Porges, with his bundle on his shoulder, viewed this tall, dusty uncle with the eye of possession, which is oft-times an eye of rapture. And Anthea? She was busy calculating to a scrupulous nicety the very vexed question as to exactly how far four pounds per week might be made to go to the best possible advantage of all concerned. End of chapter 5